Hi there, and welcome to the media ministry of River Bible Church. I'm Pastor Dustin Daniels, inviting you to visit our website to download today's sermon notes. You can sign up for our newsletter and also submit a prayer request. We would love to pray for you and answer any questions that you may have. For more information, visit riverbible.org. Now let's open up the Word of God together for today's message. Well, we have been celebrating Palm Sunday and Resurrection Sunday for the past two weeks. And uh, today we are back into our normal verse-by-verse series of the Gospel of Mark. Uh, If you have your Bibles, please turn them to Mark chapter 10. We're going to be in verses 1 through 12. If you don't have a Bible, we have Bibles in the back there. Uh, That is our gift to you. We want to make sure that you have one. Um, Take that home with you. So, Before we get to today's text, let me kind of set this thing up. Um, It's going to take me a good 10 or 12 minutes to do that. Uh, Today, I'm put in a more awkward situation than normal because every week I have the unbelievable privilege of proclaiming and teaching you the very words of God, of which I am completely unworthy to do, right? Um. I'm reminded of uh, every single week of my own personal struggles against sin. Uh, the Holy Spirit, he, what he does is he teaches me the word of God, and then I have the privilege of teaching you. Um, many times in my preparation, I am reminded of my past, which is not good. And this, this week is, is one of those weeks in particular. Um, for those of you who are visiting today here at River Bible Church, what we do is we, we teach and we preach verse by verse through the Word of God, and our prayer is that you will experience God day by day. Uh, one, of the, one of the many benefits of preaching verse by verse is that we hear the whole counsel of God, um, meaning that nothing is left out. So I don't get to really choose and pick what topics we're talking about. Um, And today is one of those topics. I I don't get the choice to skip over this topic just because I'm uncomfortable with it. Uh, Contrary to popular belief, uh, preaching the Word of God is not a TED Talk. Uh, Preaching the Word of God is a matter of life or death for for eternity. And, uh, you know, what you guys do with these, these sermons matters. What you do with the Word of God matters. This life is a spiritual probation for all of us. So, I'm compelled to do something that I really don't want to do. And I'm going to share a personal story with you before I get to today's text. The last time that I did this, that I shared a personal story about myself, was actually on October the 21st, 2018. It was my first sermon as the senior pastor here at River, and uh, the reason that I did that is because I wanted to share with you what God did as he brought Amy and I from Phoenix to Cottonwood. But see, today is very different. Um, I need to share a part of my life with you that I'm not proud of, and the reason that I'm going to do that is because it correlates to today's sermon. 
Discussing divorce, obviously, is a very tender subject. And the very fact that I even mention it, right, it, it, it causes anxiety in the church to rise. And I, I pray in Jesus' name that my testimony um, will calm your apprehension. Okay? Fair enough? Okay. So here, here's my story. My, my parents got divorced when I was a very little boy. Uh, my brother and I, we turned in the, to weekend warriors visiting my dad every other weekend. So my brother, he's three years younger than me. He always seemed to get along with my dad. Me, not so much. Uh, to my own shame, I, I never really got to know my dad. I mean, I, I loved him, but I, I really didn't like him. I, I never understood why he always had a beer in one hand and women on his mind all the time. I never figured that out until it was too late. My mom remarried seven, uh, several years later to who I would consider now the best father figure I've ever had, and his name was Jay. Uh, he was tall, he was handsome, he was strong. Jay, he was a Midwest guy. He, he grew up in Ohio. He bailed lots of hay. This man had morals, and he had rules, uh, and he wasn't afraid of enforcing them either. My brother and I, we found that out. <laughs> Jay also loved Jesus, and this big, strong man, he actually took the time to read the Bible to my mom, my brother, and I. But for whatever reason, as soon as my mom and Jay got married, he was, diagnosed with, he was diagnosed with cancer, and he died a few months later. So it just seemed that the only man that I, I really respected as a father figure, he was gone, you know? Just boom, just like that. A few years later, my mother remarried again, this guy to, uh, this time, to a guy named Tom. Tom was the very opposite of Jay. I don't think Tom really understood what he was getting himself into, taking on two stepchildren. Uh, he tried to love us, but his facade didn't last but a few years. His, his drinking, his drug use became very apparent. So once again, my mother filed for another divorce. During this time, my brother and I, we were attending a Roman Catholic school, going to church, and I was a good kid uh, all the way through high school, right? As far as my mom knew, apart from all the drugs and the drinking and the sex, I was a good kid. <laughs> In college, I met a girl. We got married. I was 22 years old. Her name was Sherry. Fast forward until the age of, uh, I was about 28 years old, and I get really restless and bored with life, and I start racing motorcycles. That'll cure things, right? A team of us, we spent the next few years on the weekends and we would travel the country racing on the RPM circuit. And it was during this time to where my world just kind of started to crash down around me. Physically, I was severely depressed. Spiritually, I was a mess, just a mess. And if you would have asked me if I was a Christian, I would have said, well, yeah, I'm a Christian. Of course I am. I mean, I thought so. Because I went to church, I went to confession, I served as an altar boy, I'm a, I'm a Christian. And it was around this, this time that, that my dirty little secret with pornography had been exposed. 
It took 20 years of addiction, but I had an emotional affair with someone at work. It led to adultery with several other women when I was married to Sherry. And I decided it was just best to pack up and leave Sherry one weekend, no explanation, no apologies. I just filed for divorce. I was now in my late 20s. My life was completely out of control. And one of the women that I was committing adultery with actually left her husband and her two children to come live with me. And I thought to myself, wow, like she left her family for me. This is real. I should probably do the right thing. I should do the right thing, right? I I should marry this woman. That's the right thing to do. The reality is that I, I didn't even really like her, let alone love her. I thought I did. I thought I loved her. But the, the brutal truth here, guys, is that I only liked what she could do for me. It, it was really strange because in all reality, I, I really couldn't stand this woman that I was completely obsessed with, and now I was married to. That second marriage lasted five months, and it ended with her physically assaulting me. So I filed for divorce. So I went through two divorces by the age of 30. And then I started to evaluate my life and go, wow, this isn't going so well. I should go to church or something. I should seek after God. I should do something. Well, I moved to Houston, Texas at the age of 31, and uh, I was going to this really large Baptist church. It was just ginormous, and, and uh, I started getting involved in singles classes because, you know, I was now single, and I, I need a good Christian girl because she's going to fix me, <laughs> right? Mm-hmm. Well, I started the date again, and then uh, one particular night, I went on a date, and believe me, guys, I had no business dating, because I was a very confused and insecure little boy at 31 years old. But here I am on a date. Ironically, we go to a Christian rock concert. After the concert, we go back to her place, and we slept together. The next day... I felt a heaviness that I I couldn't shake. It felt like someone was just pushing my shoulders to the ground. Um, It was late afternoon. I got back from running some errands, and as soon as I walked into my one-bedroom apartment, the way that I say it now is that the, the presence of God, he just overwhelmed me. And I fell to the floor, and I started to cry. And then I heard someone say, give it to me. Don't ask me how I knew that the it was my life. I just knew. And I screamed. I remember screaming, take it. Take it. I hate my life. I hate my life. Now, I don't know how long I laid on the floor that day. I literally cried myself to sleep. It could have been for 10 10 minutes. It could have been for two hours. When I woke up, I, I remember that it was still light out. But I was so physically exhausted, I went to bed with all my clothes on, like even my shoes, right? You just kind of, you do that. So I slept all the way through the night and woke up 
in the morning just in time to go to work. I met the Lord Jesus Christ that day. And he alone forgave me for my sins, including my addiction to pornography, including my sins of adultery, including my sins of divorce. And then in July of 2005, Almighty God, in his mercy and his grace and his kindness, he gave me a second gift, a godly, beautiful woman, woman named Amy Lynn. So all that to say that if you, if you plan on calling River Bible Church your home, you do need to know that your pastor was a former addict, adulterer, and twice divorced. You need to know that. You also need to know that if God can change a pervert into a pastor, he can, he can change your life as well. So all that to say this. Guys, I know the pain and the shame that comes from this topic of divorce. I watched my mother go through two divorces, and I also experienced two divorces as well. The last thing in the world that I want you to think as you walk out of here this morning is that as we cover this topic, that's in some way and in some fashion that I'm pointing my finger at you, and that's not the case. Um... I pray that you receive today's sermon with both grace and truth. Secondly, before we read uh, the passage from Mark, I also want to share with you how the Lord God Almighty, how he knows the pain of divorce as well. All through the Old Testament, we see a theme that's weaved in the history of Israel. And the theme is that, Jew- the, the theme is, is that Jewish people are God's chosen people. And he gives many, many, many illustrations of that. And one of the illustrations is that of marriage. We see that in the New Testament as well. In the book of Hosea, after God rebukes Israel's spiritual adultery and her physical adultery, God says this to his bride. He says in Hosea chapter 2, verse 19, he says, I will take you to be my wife forever. I will take you to be my wife in righteousness, justice, love, and compassion. I will take you to be my wife in faithfulness, and you will know the Lord. Unfortunately, Israel didn't want to be a wife. About 600 years later, God speaks to the prophet Jeremiah, and he says this. In the days of King Josiah, the Lord asked me, Have you seen what unfaithful Israel has done? Man, she has ascended every high hill, and she's gone under every green tree to prostitute herself there. And I I thought, you know, after she has done all these things, she'll return to me. But she didn't return, and her treacherous sister Judah saw it. So I observed that it was because of unfaithful Israel that she had committed adultery, so I had to send her away. I had to give her a certificate of divorce. Did you know that? Did you know that God divorced Israel? So God divorces his bride, so he too knows the pain of divorce. Now, 
I know that's quite the introduction, right? So it's through all of that, that through that lens this morning, that I would invite you to stand with me as we read today's scripture. Mark chapter 10, verse 1. Jesus set out from there, and he went to the region of Judea and across the Jordan. Then crowds converged on him again, and as was his custom, he taught them again. Some Pharisees came to test him, asking, Is it lawful for a man to divorce his wife? And Jesus replied, What did Moses command you? And they said, Well, Moses permitted us to write divorce papers and send her away. But Jesus told them, Well, he wrote this command for you because of the hardness of your hearts. And the command is this, From the beginning of creation, God made them male and female. For this reason, a man will leave his father and his mother, and the two will become one flesh. So they are no longer two, but one flesh. Therefore, what God has joined together, let no one separate. When they were in the house again, the disciples questioned Jesus about this matter. And Jesus said, whoever divorces his wife and marries another commits adultery against her. Also, if she divorces her husband and marries another, she commits adultery. These are the very words from God for us this morning. Please pray with me. So, Father in heaven, we are discussing divorce this morning. Lord, show us your truth that's wrapped up in grace. For those of us who have gone through divorce, who have been the recipient of the other side of that, Lord, show us and teach us the things that you want us to hear from your amazing scripture passage this morning. And it's in Jesus' name I pray. Amen. Amen. Thank you, guys. Have a seat. So let's take a deeper look here at verse 1. Jesus set out from there, and he went to the region of Judea and across the Jordan. Then the crowds converged on him again. And as was his custom, he taught them again. So Jesus leaves his home base in Capernaum. We, learn, we know that from Mark chapter 9, verse 33. He starts moving south towards Jerusalem. And where he's at, this is the area where John the baptizer ministered. Now that's an important detail. We'll get to that here in a minute. Verse 2, Jesus, excuse me, some Pharisees came to test Jesus, asking... Is it lawful for a man to divorce his wife? So the Pharisees, as you know, they are enemies of Jesus. Divorce in the first century, it was a controversial issue just like it is today. Now I want you to notice the way they ask the question. Is it lawful for a man to divorce his wife? Now, from what we've learned all over all the confrontations that Jesus has had over the past 43 weeks. Can you believe that we've been in the book of Mark for almost a year? It's crazy. From what you know of the Pharisees, do you really think that these guys are looking for legal advice on marriage? They're, they're testing him, right? Scandalizo. It's a scandal. 
They're trying to cause a scandal. They want to trap him. So they could have asked the question this way. Jesus, is it lawful for a man to divorce his wife for anything other than adultery? So the Pharisees were doing what many, many people do today, right? They, they take a controversial issue or topic, and they're just waiting for Jesus to say the slightest thing wrong, in their opinion, so that they can take it out of context and use it against him. So the very, the very way that they phrase the question here tells us something, doesn't it? The Pharisees knew that Jesus opposed divorce. They heard Jesus preach the Sermon on the Mount, right? Matthew chapter 5, verse 31 It was also said, whoever divorces his wife must give her a written notice of divorce. But I tell you, Jesus says, I tell you, everyone who divorces his wife, except in the case of sexual immorality, causes her to commit adultery. And whoever marries a divorced woman commits adultery. So the Pharisees, they wanted a simple answer to a very politically hot topic. Now, there were three views in the first century on divorce. You have the liberal view, which allowed divorce for any reason. The conservative view, which allowed divorce for only sexual immorality. And then there was the closed view, uh, did not allow divorce for any reason whatsoever. Now, as you look at those, I mean, just pause for a second. Has anything changed in 2,121 years? Right? They're still the same. Pharisees, they wanted Jesus to give this blanket statement that, would, that basically would indict him. So either a yes or a no from Jesus, it's going to cause division. This is a no-win situation for Jesus. Now, the fact that Jesus, uh, the location where Jesus is, is not an accident. This, he's across the Jordan, right? Verse 1 said that. That is significant. This area is known as Perea. Perea is where Herod Antipas rules. He's the so-called king. This is the same area where Antipas chopped off John the baptizer's head because John was railing against the divorce and the marriage of Antipas. So, if If Jesus said that it's against the law for a man to divorce his wife and marry another, then he's going to be acting just like John the baptizer, right? Going to get his head chopped off. So the Pharisees, they were trying to put Jesus into a position to either condemn Herod and possibly lose his life or denounce John the baptizer and possibly lose his following. Dang! Wow, guys, that is wickedly brilliant, amazing. The Pharisees, they were were trying to paint Jesus as this intolerant conservative. I mean, can you just see the headlines, social media in the first century? Jesus calls all divorced people adulterers. That's not going to go over well. Verse 3, so Jesus replies, he said, well, guys, what did Moses command you? So the sense here in this verse is that Jesus answered their question immediately. Jesus does not back away from a hostile political question here. Jesus doesn't fear the topic. Uh, Notice here that Jesus doesn't play their game. 
But he also, he doesn't answer their question. Jesus takes control of the situation by asking a question of his own. Jesus is not going to get into like a legal discussion here and start splitting hairs with the Pharisees. Jesus points these Pharisees back to the word of God. Since Moses was their authority, he asked them what Moses had to say about divorce. Verse 4, and they said, well, Moses permitted us to write divorce papers and send her away. So with an answer like that, they obviously have an agenda here. So they ask this question in verse 2, and now they answer Jesus' question with the attitude of basically, what can I get away with? What can I get away with? So this brings us to key point number one. The Pharisees are interested in their rights, not their responsibilities. The Pharisees are interested in their rights, not their responsibilities. See, they ask only about the husband's right to divorce. They pay no attention to the needs of the wife or the children. Just notice how the Pharisees answered. Jesus asked them, what did Moses command you? And they said, well, Moses permitted. Dear friends, that's called bad biblical interpretation. Really bad. The Pharisees focused on what was legally allowed, but see, Jesus is redirecting them to what God actually willed. So key point number two, when your approach to Scripture is wrong, your approach to marriage is wrong. When your approach to Scripture is wrong, your approach to marriage, if you're, if you're single or if you're young in here today, you could say that your approach to life is going to be wrong. So what are the Pharisees talking about? They said, well, Moses permitted this, Jesus, so we can do it, right? So the proof text that the Pharisees used was Deuteronomy chapter 24, verse 1. And it says, if a man marries a woman, but she becomes displeasing to him because he finds something indecent about her, he may write her a divorce certificate, hand it to her, and send her away from his house. So the big question here in this verse is how someone is going to interpret that word indecent. What does that mean? What's that include? Well, indecency, it literally means nakedness. Not physical nakedness, but in the sumps, in, in, that something is shameful. So let me, it's a little bit confusing here. So let me give you another passage that has the same word in it. Deuteronomy chapter 23, verse 14. For the Lord your God walks throughout your camp to protect you and deliver your enemies to you. So your encampments must be holy. He must not see anything indecent among you or he will turn away from you. So there's that word indecent again. So indecent doesn't refer to adultery because adultery was obviously, it was forbidden. It's one of the top 10, right? Top 10 commandments. Adultery was punished by execution. Leviticus chapter 20, verse 10. Now, I want you to think about this because I, I know that's a little hard for us to grasp. People in the Old Testament who committed adultery were executed. 
Dear friends, that should tell us something about God's heart regarding the sanctity of marriage. In other words, God says, how dare you touch another man's wife? How dare you? Now, for the most part, in the first century, uh, during Jesus' time here, very few people were being executed for adultery. Remember what Joseph planned on doing when he found out what, what Mary, when Mary was pregnant? Matthew chapter 1, verse 19. So her husband Joseph, being a righteous man, he, he, didn't, he didn't want to disgrace her publicly. He decided to divorce her secretly. So all that to say, this word indecent, it describes things that would violate a typical marriage responsibility. So just basic disobedience in the marriage would be one thing. So this word certainly doesn't mean it's a free-for-all for the husband to divorce his wife for any reason. I mean, these guys were divorcing their wives because they burnt dinner. No kidding. Because um, she let her hair down in public. She, uh, she showed her ankle to another man. And we go, well, that's crazy. But we fast forward to today, guys, and think about it. We do the same thing. In fact, we don't even need a reason to file for divorce. We've got this thing called no-fault divorce, right? We, we don't need a silly, stupid reason. Verse 5, Jesus told them, Well, Moses wrote this command for you because of the hardness of your hearts. So Jesus wastes no time to get to the heart of the matter because our hearts are always the matter. In the larger context of Deuteronomy chapter 1 through 5, if you go home and read that, God is protecting women's rights. Moses doesn't command divorce here. What God does is he places restrictions on the husband if he decides to file for a divorce. See, God's will for a divorced woman in the Old Testament was to free her from the accusation of adultery, the shame that comes with that, because most of the time she needs to get remarried just to survive. That's what happened in, in the first century. So this passage also prevents the husband from destroying the new marriage because he sees that the grass is always greener on the other side. He divorces his wife. He spends five months with her, right? And he's like, oh, this isn't a good idea. So he goes and he wants to remarry that same woman. And God says, no, you're not going to destroy this marriage. So Deuteronomy chapter 24, it's not an excuse to get a divorce like the Pharisees were saying. Jesus addresses the fundamental issue here. He says, guys, it's the hardness of your hearts. So key point number three, the hardness of hearts, it refers to the refusal of listening to God's truth. The hardness of heart refers to the refusal of listening to God's truth. So the biblical command, it's always forgiveness. It's always restoration. It's always reunion. Key point number four, divorce happens because of the hardness of our hearts. Divorce, people file for divorce because of the hardness of their hearts. That's what Jesus says. 
In God's own words, God gives the bottom line on divorce in Malachi chapter 2, verse 16. He says, look, I hate divorce. So Jesus is saying, in other words, guys, I hate the hardness of your hearts. See, the Pharisees, they need to discover what God commands, not what Moses permitted. So let's see what God commands here. Verse 6, 7, and 8. Jesus says, but from the beginning, the beginning of all creation, God made them male and female for this reason. A man will leave his father and his mother, and the two will become one flesh. So they are no longer two, but one flesh. So Jesus takes the Pharisees all the way back to the creation account, right? This, this shows the importance of marriage. Man didn't create marriage. God did. Therefore, it's divine. Marriage is not a business partnership that can be dissolved on a whim. Marriage is a divine union of two lives being fused into one. And these two lives, they, they now form one unit, right? And each life is dependent on the other for survival. Key point number five. So the oneness of marriage, it demands that one man and one woman remain together. The oneness of marriage demands that one man and one woman remain together. Marriage is deeply theological. You think about the Trinity. We've got God in three persons. That is a mystery, right? Marriage is also a reflection of this mysterious relationship. We've got God the Father, we've got God the Son, we've got Holy Spirit, and they are inseparable. And then God intended marriage to reflect God's own relationship within himself. That's what marriage does. And when a man and woman get married, God creates something new there. It's a new Trinitarian relationship. You've got one husband, one wife, and then God. And God rules over that relationship. Moving on to verse 9, therefore what God has joined together, let no one separate. So verse 9 really is, is Jesus' conclusion to the Pharisees' question. So with God behind that union, marriage is a covenant. Marriage is a pledge from one man to one woman and vice versa, under the authority of God. Therefore, divorce is an enemy to the divine institution of marriage. I mean, think about it. Jesus brought them all the way back to Genesis 1 and 2. Why did he do that? Because if Adam and Eve got divorced, who are they going to marry? Awkward. Key point number six. So here we go. Yeah. In the beginning, divorce was inconceivable and impossible. In the beginning, divorce was inconceivable and it was impossible. Which leads to key point number seven. The fall did not change the permanence of marriage. The fall did not change the permanence of marriage. Moving on to verse 10. So when they were in the house again, 
the disciples questioned Jesus about this matter. I find this verse funny. No, you guys notice what, what's missing here? The Pharisees, what was their response to what Jesus said? Jesus said, you guys need to zip it. Just whoosh, silence, right? He silenced them. He, he avoided the trap. But evidently the disciples, they couldn't believe what they just heard. They were stunned by Jesus' teaching once again. So they asked him what he meant. In verse 11, Jesus says to the disciples, he says, whoever divorces his wife and marries another commits adultery against her. Oh, all right, Jesus. Well, that's pretty self-explanatory. I don't need to preach that. I don't need to teach that. He says, whoever, whoever divorces his wife basically is guilty. Jesus did, and this is important to note, Jesus did what the rabbis refused to do. Jesus raises the status and the dignity of women in the marriage covenant. Verse 12, also if she divorces her husband and marries another, she commits adultery. So Jewish women could not divorce their husbands. That was not an option for them. Verse 12 was a teaching moment for the disciples because they were getting ready to engage the Gentile world. And Gentile women could certainly divorce their husbands. So really in verses 11 and 12 here, Jesus closes all the legal loopholes in, uh, in their argument in Deuteronomy chapter 24, verse 1. So guys, this is revolutionary what Jesus did here today. Jesus treats men and women equally in the marriage. So, that's the scripture passage. That's the text. And I got to tell you, I'm, um, it's a little hard for me to move from like a teaching moment into a preaching moment because I feel like I need to do marriage counseling, right? Which I find hilarious, because uh, people come to me for marriage counseling and they don't know that I've been divorced twice and married three times. Y'all don't think that's funny? I think that's hilarious. God has a sense of humor. So here's my counseling segment. You ready? And it's key point number eight. If you want to ruin your life, start sleeping around. That will ruin your life. If you want to ruin your life, start sexing it up. Tell your grandkids. Not a good idea. All right, counseling session over. That'll be $100. (laughs) Scripture shows us that adultery does not have to end a divorce. All right. Sometimes it will. And sometimes it must. Marriage is hard. When you read the Old Testament book of Hosea, God told Hosea to marry a woman named Gomer. That's right. Her name's Gomer. And with a name like Gomer, you better watch out for trouble. I'm just telling you. Hosea is a beautiful story of our unfaithfulness and yet God's faithfulness to us. You read that book 
And you're like, why does God continue to chase us down? What does he see in us? Key point number nine. Marriage is supremely sacred. Marriage is supremely sacred. So husbands, let me, let me talk to you for a minute. Are you loving your wife as Christ loves the church? Are you gentle with her? Or are you harsh? Are you neglecting her? And I ask that question because someday very soon you will see the Lord Jesus face to face. And he's going to ask a question like this. He's going to ask you, how did you do loving my daughter that I gave you? How'd you do with that? Wives, are you respecting your husband? Do you respect him in godly, tangible ways? Because someday very soon, you will also see the Lord Jesus face to face, and he's going to ask you a question like this. In what ways did you respect my son that I gave you? Marriage is not perfect, but it can be healthy. And a healthy marriage is this. Husbands, when you love your wives, and wives, when you respect your husbands, love, respect, love, respect. Ephesians 5. Now, for those of you who have committed adultery like me, for those of you who have been the recipient of that sin, for those of you who have been hurt by divorce, that your spouse dragged you through adultery and divorce, for those of you who still carry that baggage, that shame of divorce, please know that no matter what you've been told, these are not unforgivable sins. These are the very sins that pinned Jesus to the cross. Y'all get that? It's this shame that we carry, this baggage that we, we can't let go of. It's these things right here that when God says that you're free and forgiven, you are free and you're forgiven. And Romans 10.9 says, if you confess with your mouth that Jesus is Lord and you believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, you will be saved. So dear friends, if you have confessed your sins and you believe that Jesus is God, you are free. You're forgiven from this stuff. The blood of Jesus Christ has washed you clean. So don't you dare Walk out of here thinking that you have somehow, some way out the cross of Christ because you have not, right? You have not. And when you confess with your mouth and you believe that Jesus is God, the most amazing thing happens. 
is that the sin of divorce and the sin of adultery, along with every other thing, is placed on the shoulders of Jesus. And then his goodness and his righteousness and his purity is then imputed. It is transferred to you. It's an amazing transaction. Jesus doesn't get the good end of that deal, right? For those of you who don't know Jesus, you, you have questions on the gospel, you have questions on divorce. Um, it's very important that you get your questions answered. We'll be here in, in the fellowship hall. We have a prayer room through the foyer and to the right. We invite you back there to get your questions answered. Father in heaven, I want to thank you for allowing us to talk about a subject that is a tender. I pray, Father, that, um, that we continue to do business with you and we are just overwhelmed by your grace and your mercy, <laughs> that you continue to, to chase us down, that you would forgive us of all of our sins, including any sexual sin, including any divorce. I'm reminded, Lord God, in, in Hebrews where... Um, the picture here is that when you, when you mounted that cross, that you literally, you threw off our shame. You cast it away as far as the east is from the west. So Lord God, may we celebrate that today. May we realize that you have forgiven us. And maybe just maybe it's time that we forgive ourselves. And it's in Jesus' name I pray. Amen.